You're listening to Mount Carmel Baptist Church's weekly Sunday worship service message at 11 a.m. Mount Carmel is located in Demarest, Georgia. To learn more, visit mtcarmeldemarest.com or facebook.com forward slash mtcarmeldemarest. Thanks for listening. The God of Israel, we still give him praise. Hallelujah. He says, my soul, he talks to himself, my soul, praise the Lord. Do you see the challenge? That's what I've entitled this message, the challenge. The challenge here is the psalmist is calling upon his own soul to praise the Lord. And he is definitely doing this when he doesn't feel like it. The favor from political powers over and what does he say hallelujah hallelujah there are many times when we seem to find no reason to praise God but the redeemed those who have been liberated from their sin by the ransom the shed blood of Jesus Christ we can find limitless justification to praise our God Have we forgotten who our God is in the middle of 2020? Here's what I want you to write down. Here's your challenge, especially today. The challenge is for just a moment, let's forget everything that surrounds us and let's just praise Jesus. The challenge is to praise Jesus. Remember what Psalm 103 says when the psalmist has to remind his own soul of the benefits of knowing the Lord God. It says this, My soul, bless the Lord, Yahweh, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. My soul, bless the Lord. Do not forget all His benefits. He forgives all your iniquity. He heals all your diseases. He redeems your life from the pit, the grave. He'll bring you back up. He crowns you with faithful love and compassion. He satisfies you with good things. Your youth is renewed like the eagle. That's your God. Hallelujah. The Apostle Paul and his amazing eulogy, his blessing over God in Ephesians chapter 1. Listen to what he says in verse 3. Let me remind you of how you've been benefited and blessed by God. It says, blessed is the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. Do you understand your God is not holding anything back from you? You are experiencing His blessings. But notice the commitment. Notice the commitment then in verse 2. I will praise the Lord, that's Yahweh, the God of Israel, all my life. In 2019, in 2020, in 2021, everybody see what that word? I will. He makes the commitment. It's not based on our circumstances. It's based on the character of our God. I will. I will sing to my God as long as I live. That is his commitment. 
As long as he has breath in his lungs, the psalmist declares his intention to praise God. Listen, church, if you are saved, diseased, aged, pained, suffering, sorrow, or even on the brink of death, you will never run out of reasons for true praise. We are committed to be thankful for all things. This may be a little more convicting today, but just go with me. Listen to what it says in 1 Thessalonians 5.18. I get this a lot as a pastor. Pastor, what is God's will for my life? You ready? He doesn't hide it. It's in black and white. He says this, give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for y'all in Christ Jesus. Give thanks in everything, in everything. In every circumstance we find ourselves in, we can and should find something to be thankful for. Listen to 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 2. And I think this is one of those words we kind of skip over. Check this. He says, first of all, this is him instructing a pastor, the Apostle Paul instructing young Timothy, how do you conduct the church? And he gives us the preeminence of prayer. Pastors, you got to lead your church in prayer. And here's how he says to lead them in prayer. He says, first of all, I urge that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and then notice this word, and thanksgivings be made for, be made for everyone, for kings and all those who are in authority. Whether you like it or not, I'll go ahead and tell you, biblically, you give thanks for President-elect Biden. Right? That's what we as Christians do. We've been made over, and we follow a higher king, and he says, give thanks. And we go give thanks. Regardless, regardless, remember the ultimate reason why you praise God. Everything, when everything around you is just terrible. I want you to listen to Luke 10, 28. Notice this, however, this is Jesus speaking to his disciples, don't rejoice that the spirits submit to you. And here's his whole point. He, they, were, they were ecstatic that they had this supernatural power to cast out demons and heal the sick. And they're going, look at this phenomenal ministry that we have. And he goes, oh, why are you excited over that? And we would be, we would be, we would be, right? And this is what he says. He says, Let me, he's going to ground their joy in one thing. One thing, you ready? He says, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Church, and that don't change. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Regardless, Jesus is still worthy. God moved in grace and power to deliver our souls from the torment and bondage of our sins. He delivered us from all eternity in hell. And he adopted us into his family when he saved us. We are saved. We are the sons and daughters of God. We are secure in Jesus forever. We are headed to a city called heaven. Those things are ours and cannot be touched by this world. Nothing will ever change those things. If the ancient people could praise Yahweh for His grace in simply returning them to Jerusalem... How much more can God's elect and redeemed of the old and new covenants come and bring out praise to him for, hey, going to a city where one day there is no more pain, sorrow, death, and God dwells with us forever. The new Jerusalem. 
That's our promise. And it's unshakable. We have reasons to rejoice. And then notice the caution here in verses 3 and 4. Here's the caution. This is what we understand that's implied in the text. He has to be sorrowful over some king in whom they've lost favor or promise or even life. Look at what it says. It says, do not trust in nobles. These are people with authority, those who govern. Don't put your confidence in nobles, in a son of man. I like how some translations that are a little newer say, in a mere mortal. In a mere mortal who cannot save. Now, we read save and we immediately think of spiritual salvation. And that's true. But salvation, especially the Psalms, means just deliverance from any harm, danger, detriment, or evil. All right? Talk about anything that's bad. Notice what verse 4 says. When his, this noble, when his breath leaves him, he returns to the ground. And on that day, what happens? His plans die. The policies, the platform, what he promised, what happens? It just goes away. It doesn't matter anymore. We are cautioned against putting our confidence into kings. You're going to see this. Nations, even our own people. Princes, presidents, because at the end of the day, whoever governs and whoever votes, we're all mortal. Let me tell you what we are. Let me tell you with generous respect. If you rob us, if you robbed us of being made in the image of God, we're sophisticated mud and dirt. That's all we are. And what happens? Eventually we go back to the dust along with every intention, promise, and plan we've made. We often misplace. Church, we do this. We, I think we're constantly tempted, the church is. We're constantly tempted, I think, by ourselves, Satan, other demonic powers in the world to put our trust in the wrong person, the wrong institution, or just simply the wrong object. Some put their faith in money. But hey, church, have we learned this in the last decade? Do banks fail? <laughs> yeah, I got you. Yep, banks fail. Right? Some put their faith in politics. Do political systems break down? Oh, yeah. Some put their faith in religion, but apart from Christ, religion's bankrupt. Some put their faith in education, and I'll tell you right now, not every education's equal. The temptation to lean on the arm of princes is always there. It's always there to trust the one at the top, the one with the money, the one who makes the decisions, the one who makes the promises, the one with the right connections. We're all guilty of it. So stubborn is our, not, our, is our native unbelief that we find it hard to trust in God alone. That's the hard part, right? We trust in God. We trust in God alone. Alone. Any person is transient or temporary, and because of our transience, we're all impotent. We can't really deliver. We can't. I ultimately, as much as I want, I can't keep my own wife and family from delivering them from all say, uh, evil harm, right? I can't do that. You can't. We only have a certain extent by which we can ex you know, help and assist people. 
But none of us, not myself or anyone else, is worthy of your trust alone. Listen to Jeremiah. Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet. He was the prophet there when he saw the Jews because of their disobedience and idolatry go into captivity in Babylon. And Jeremiah, is this, there's this whole book that he's dedicated to lamentation, lament, just crying. And in this instance, the people of Israel had thought, Judah had thought, well, the, the Egyptians will certainly come and deliver us from the Babylonians. They'll come and save the day. And listen, as Jeremiah is watching his people taken off into Babylon, listen to what he weeps. He says, all the while our eyes were failing as we looked in vain for help. We watched from our towers for a nation that would not save us. They're just, you see what we're doing? They're coming, right? They're coming. They're not coming. <laughs> They're not coming. And here's what's even so amazing, is I think we even do that with our own nation, right? We're coming around. They're not coming around. We can't even put our trust in each other. That's why Jesus, listen church, why? Notice what happens. Because we're transient and temporary and we're impotent, we're all going to go to the ground. The only person, the only person who is worthy of your trust alone is King Jesus because he's been raised. Do you understand that? When he gives you a word, he'll make it good. He's the only one. And that's why you see, church, why do you think Jesus taught his disciples, say, every day pray, let your kingdom come. Come on, King Jesus. Come and establish justices, justice and righteousness and establish peace that's unprecedented and without end. That only comes with King Jesus. Now notice the call. So notice how he's done this. So far, he's just been hard on himself, right? Hallelujah, right? That's what he's kind of doing. Like, I will bless the Lord. I'm going to, right? He's just making a commitment. And here's the motivation. Where can we, where, when can that commitment become genuine, right? Like, how does it turn from just hard determination to like, no, I really can praise him. And this is the reason I want to do the worship at the end of the service today. He begins to review the cause for why he should praise God. Look at verse 5. Happy, <laughs> blessed, congratulations. To the one whose help or assistance is the God of Jacob. Congratulations. <laughs> Which reminds you, you remember who your God is? You worship the God of Jacob. He's your assistant. Look what it says. Whose hope, whose hope is in the Lord, Yahweh, his God. I love this. Uh, John Corson said this. Hope is the expectation of coming good. Listen to me, church. There's many things that you set your hope on, and you may not be very hopeful right now. It don't look good, right? But if our hope is set on Yahweh, we can't help but expect it's about to get better. What do you mean? Because God takes things that are broken, and he redeems them and works all things together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. You don't know what the sovereign is up to. But you can hope in him. Why? Because he has promised you, he has given you his word. It works out for y'all. 
It works out. He's always up to something good for his people. So you can put your hope in him. To back up what he's saying, the psalmist begins to show us why the person who knows God has many reasons to praise his name. You see, those who place their trust in themselves or others, they will run out of reliable reasons to rejoice. It will happen. All right? So here's the first reason. You ready? Ready? Yahweh, and I have no problem saying Jesus, is the creator. There you go. And, I, and I'm not going to lie, when I first read through this passage, because the, the first that came to my mind around 7 o'clock last night was, don't put your trust in princes. And then I went and read the psalm, and I'm like, I'm going to have to preach this tomorrow. But the one question I had of the text when I first reviewed it, I was like, so what that he's the creator? That's kind of just, in my opinion, like theological statement, like, duh. But we've got to remember. Remember what there was before God created anything? Anybody remember what there was? There was nothing. I mean, and this is one thing we don't even understand from a scientific and philosophical point of view. You know what? You understand when we say there's nothing. There wasn't even empty space. It wasn't like there was a blank canvas and God filled it with planets and stars. No, 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 no. The canvas didn't even exist when we say there's nothing. Nothing. And here's what happened. You ready? You know how God took that and that nothing? You know how he changed it? He changed it with what? A word. Let. Boom. I mean, just bam. And it all changed with just a word from our God. With just a word. Imagine the folly of trusting some puny man and his words. When you're invited to trust the creator God. He has, we have a God who can orbit galaxies. A God who can make or move mountains, whichever you want. A God who can swirl seas in their basins as they are just a pints of water in a pail. We have a God who can do the impossible. A God who can make galactic empires out of nothing. When we pray, we're not addressing our prayers to empty space, to nothing. We're addressing our prayers to God. I don't believe prayer works. I believe God works. Just because he is invisible and inaudible does not mean he is not there. He is there. And he has omnipotent power and he is infinitely wise. And this is what's so amazing. When you take this verse and look where it's cited or alluded to back in the New Testament, you're going to find one of, I just preached on this a couple weeks ago, in Acts 4.24, after the, the, the Peter and John were so afraid after being persecuted for the first time, remember that? The authorities grabbed them, said, don't preach in Jesus' name. They went back to their own church, and what's the first thing the church did? They prayed, and they prayed. Well, they rejoiced, and then they prayed, and what does the church first say? God, you're the maker of heaven and earth. You know what it does when we realize that God's the creator who can create everything from nothing just by the word of his power? We understand there's nothing too difficult for God. Just a word. Just a word. If you are overwhelmed by life, remember who your God is and what he has done. And you may need to go all the way back to creation going, if he can call everything out of nothing, then it's not hopeless. The second thing that he says here, look at verse 6. The maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. And then notice this, he remains 
faithful forever. You ready for this one? Yahweh, Jesus, is a covenant keeper. This is good, church. He is a covenant keeper. God will always stand by his word. If he gives you his word on something, it's as good as done. Literally, Jesus put it this way. Heaven and earth would have to pass away before his word would be made void. God, whatever God has promised, he will bring it to pass. God's children need never to fear a single one of his promises from failing. God will do everything he has said he would do. And these are just some of my favorite ones that I have to remind myself on. And you can read these in Matthew 6, 25 through 34. I just always love the logic of Jesus. Jesus goes this, did God give you a body? I can wait. Oh, yeah. So is he going to let that body starve? Nope. Is he going to let that body run around naked? Nope. He's like, if God gives you a body, which is a bigger thing, he'll take care of the littler things. You see how that works? So just remember that. If God's giving you those things, he wouldn't just then, like, I'm not going to resource you, equip you to use it. <laughs> now, if he, if he gives you the bigger things, all those other things are entailed. That's what Jesus says. And then remember, church, and there's nothing wrong with this. Remember, you do have a perfect home in the presence of God that we will all be in one day. The next thing is this. Look at what it says here. Verse 7. Notice then. This is, just think about it for a minute. You have this grandiose vision of God's cosmic concern. He created the universe. And then it's talking about his word. God's a faithful covenant keeper. If I, if I make a covenant with you, if I give you my word, if I give you a promise, you can be sure it's done. And then you just kind of get the impression that just maybe, maybe God is so concerned with controlling the universe that would he even care about what's going on in our land? And look at what it says. Notice what he does. This is the description of your God. He says, verse 7, executing justice for the exploited. And giving food to the hungry. The Yahweh, he frees prisoners. Yahweh opens the eyes of the blind. Yahweh raises up those who are oppressed. Yahweh loves the righteous. Yahweh protects uh, resident aliens and helps the fatherless and the widow. But he frustrates the ways of the wicked. Whether you like it or not, God is intimately concerned with every detail of your life. God is not so preoccupied with such concerns as creating nebula or curbing nations that he's just too busy for you. Mm -mm. Does he care if you're sick? Oh, yeah, he does. Does it matter to him if you're hungry? Praise God. His wisdom and power are not divorced from his compassion and love. He loves you. That was demonstrated once and for all in the life and death of Jesus Christ who came to seek and save you, to heal the sick, to raise the dead, and above all, to die and throw heaven's gates wide open. He loves you. you know, can I go ahead and tell you, this is, this is what ran through my mind the other day. I, I'm about to get as real as I've ever gotten. and I feel like I get real up here pretty good. But anyway, I voted for Trump. 
And my reason for saying this, and I've told you, I'm unapologetically pro-life, unapologetically. I don't even feel the need to defend myself, although I understand I have to defend myself for people who go, why? But my, my, it was like weird. The one concern, I had one concern, like when it was all said and done, I just thought to myself, what about the unborn? You know, that's, what I, that's, what I, that's the only thing I, I had. That's what I said. And I'm sorry, I put my trust in a person to protect the unborn. See, it says here, my Bible says here, let me go back, just make sure that's right. It says it's Yahweh who executes justice for the exploited. Yahweh does. Justice is coming. He'll free the prisoner. He will. We put our trust in him. So, church, you're all right. Right? I know God used me, but hey, I, he'll bring up people, right, put them back down. This is nothing for him. Nothing. In church, maybe just maybe, just give you one little shift in perspective. Maybe we have to understand with the abortion issue, hey, it may not be that institution that can fix it. It just may be ours to fix. See what I mean? And not through a political process, just by through going and being salt and light in the world. Because really, that's what, we're, that's what we're after going. It's not even like a political platform issue. We just care for the unborn. That's all we care about. I mean, that's, that's me. I don't, I don't care about anything else. And most other Christians who even voted different from me understand my position. They get it. They get it. Notice what he does. He feeds the hungry. He lifts the broken. I love this one. He loves the righteous. Now, please don't read that and believe going, well, he loves the good people. There is, there is none good, no, not one. Remember, we always understand righteousness is credit to those who believe and trust him for it. Right? So he, he loves those who will willingly admit that they are sinners and they're trusting God to show grace on them. <laughs> That's what that means. He loves people who won't be arrogant and go, I am a sinner. And God's going, yes, you are. And I love you. He safeguards the strangers. Church, he, he cares about immigration. He wants to protect those people at the border. That's our God. See, God's much bigger than politics. He supports the sufferers. And then notice, he sentences the sinner. Eventually, hey, whether it's in this life or the next, he frustrates the plans of wicked people. It will. It happens. It will happen. And I know one of the things that some people worry about is that for some reason, if, and, I'm, I, and this is what I want you to know, anybody who is telling you that, that this is a sign of judgment or whatever, or not, or a sign of deliverance, I think categorically they have it all wrong from a biblical perspective, all right? Because here's, what, here's the only word that you and I can trust in is that if the world, not just the nation, comes under the judgment of God, okay, if his wrath began to be poured out on people now, which, for, first of all, we would know beyond a shadow of a doubt. You wouldn't be questioning it. Like, I wonder if this is God's judgment. Like, <laughs> when people came under judgment, they're like, this is God's judgment. What have I done? Job didn't wonder if he was under judgment. He knew he was. He just didn't know why. Okay. But just remember this, 2 Peter 2, 9. 
It says, the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment. See, this is one of the things that we can like relax in. God knows he's, the, he's not just going to take people and throw them all into one big group. Right? And, he, and the references, you know who the reference was to? To the righteous lot. It's about Sodom and Gomorrah. What did God go? Well, there's that one guy. Get him out of there. And he did. And then what did he do? He leveled the place. So he goes, hey, the righteous are there. I, I protect the righteous. And Lot wasn't a good man. That's what I'm trying to tell you. He's not a good man. But it does seem that he believed in God, Abraham's God. And God protected him. Notice how the psalm ends. This is really good. This is what I'm calling you to do. The Lord reigns forever. That word reign means to be installed as king. Right? Princes, nobles, they come and go. Oh, but the one seated on the throne in heaven, he had not got off his throne ever. Ever. There's never been a day. He's installed as king forever. Zion, now he's talking to the people, right? Because remember, first he addressed his own soul. Hallelujah. Bless the Lord, my soul, <laughs> right? Come on, soul. And now he's got to the point where he goes, Zion, Israel. He's talking to the community of the redeemed. Everybody. Notice what happens. He says, your God reigns. Your God is installed as king for generations. Your kids, my kids, my great-great-grandkids, when I won't be here, I love this. I'll be long gone. And somebody, I trust this because of God, he'll have a witness that goes, your God reigns as a testimony to them. So how does the psalm end? What's he say? Hallelujah. Praise Yahweh. Praise Jehovah. I just have a feeling that hallelujah was not like the hallelujah that started. It was more like hallelujah. <laughs> right? <laughs> and I feel like at the end he's like hallelujah. Corson again points out, if you haven't noticed this, because I always have to point this out. In the psalmist crescendo of praise for the cause and reason of why we praise Yahweh, it's hard to miss the portrait of Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah of the Old Testament, the Christ of the New Testament. Why? Because what did Jesus do? Jesus gave food to the hungry. He said, I can't let all these people go away. And he fed them. He loosed prisoners from their demonic possessions. One of my crazy favorite stories, people held in prisoner by their demonic powers and Jesus approaches them and the, and, and the demons go, is today the day of judgment? And he goes, not yet. How about those pigs? We'll take it. It's a conversation. Do you understand that? It's just a word. It's not sweat and tears. It's a word. He opened blind eyes. Literally. Not, not, not just spiritually. Literally. Healed them. He restored hope to the downtrodden, right? Makes us think of John chapter 8 and the woman caught in adultery. I don't judge you. Go sin no more, right? He raised her up. No one was a stranger to him. 
There was no foreigners to Jesus, right? No aliens. Come on in. You want to hear about it? Come on. And he took special care of the widow. Church, I told you the challenge here is to praise Jesus today. And I think you should realize it's not too challenging to praise Jesus. I'm going to ask every head bowed, every eye closed. We're going to have just a time of meditation. And here's what I'm going to do today. If you'll allow, you've got to listen to me. You're going to get me in so much trouble. I'll open the altar today for one purpose, one person, a socially distanced just time to pray, okay? You get over here and you stay six feet away from people, all right? And if that makes you uncomfortable, please stay in your seat, all right? But you've got to space out, and then I'm going to really need some volunteers to help vacuum this place up. <laughs> but after I pray, I do want to invite you to come down and just feel like we just need to be able to do that for you. But I never want to leave without this. If you've never repented of your sins, repentance is essential to salvation. It's, it's not that it saves you. Okay? Salvation has already been accomplished through Jesus' perfect life, his sacrificial death on the cross, and his resurrection from the grave. So salvation's available, right? But to receive salvation, to apply it, your life is repentance and faith. Repentance is just, a, it's a simple but life-changing perspective that you are a sinner. I am a sinner. To acknowledge that. And then faith is really just to come to, to Jesus empty-handed going, I don't have anything to offer you, but I'll take that salvation you're offering. And when you do that, he saves you. He delivers you from evil. Forgives us of all of our sin, makes us sons and daughters of God, transfers us out of the kingdom of darkness into his beloved son's kingdom. We become his children. I mean, it goes on and on and on. And here's what I want to do. Jesus taught people to pray. I just want to teach you how to pray. I want to teach you how to call upon Jesus. It says, everyone, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord, that's Jesus, will be saved, delivered. With every head bowed and every eye closed, will you just simply repeat this prayer after me in the silence of your heart? You don't have to say it out loud. Jesus is God. He hears our thoughts and whispers. He's not dead. He's alive. He hears. And if you're ready to repent, just say, Jesus, I confess that I am a sinner. And I deserve judgment. But I know that you love me. You came to this earth. You lived a perfect life, and you died on the cross to forgive me of all my sins. And you were raised from the dead to prove it. Please forgive me. Come into my life and give me eternal life. With every head bowed, every eye closed, if you prayed that prayer, we don't do, we're not doing what I'm about to say in order to be saved. That's not the point. If we love Jesus, we obey his commands. That's the difference. And Jesus' first commands to those who call out to him for salvation, now that you're in a relationship with Jesus, is to be baptized. Baptism is the way we show to the church and the world that we believe and identify with Jesus' death for our sins when we go under the water. And when we come up out of the water, we're saying we believe and identify with Jesus' resurrection 
from the grave, that we're forgiven and eternal life is ours. If you've never been baptized, check that off on the back of the bulletin. Text BELIEVE to our text and church number. Go to our website, find the baptism tab, fill it out. You're just signing up to talk to me. You're not actually signing up for the day. Here's what I'll do after I pray. This altar will be open. Now, please understand what this is not for. I'm not going to be counseling. I'm not going to be laying hands on anybody or praying everybody. That's not what this time is. I'm just saying is if you feel the need to just move forward and to praise God on bending knee, I'm, I'm just saying we'll do that. Just stay separate, okay? After I pray, you're welcome to come. Father, I thank you so much for your work on the cross. I thank you for the numberless reasons to praise you. And Lord, you know, you're aware of what's on our hearts, on our minds, and how for many, it's just been a difficult year. It just seems like one defeat, one sickness, another death after the other. And it just feels like there, there just seems to be a sense of reprieve, a relief. And then Lord, at the same time, I know you, you don't fault us for this, but you do call us to, to change our perspectives and attitudes to see that where our hopes really lie are not in anything in this world. It's all transient, it's temporary, but only you are eternal, you are the creator, you're worthy of all praise. And so God, we, we ask that you would help our souls bless your name. You deserve it regardless. Help us to worship you. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people say, amen. Will you stand and come?
I want to just pray this psalm over us. And then, Brother Rick, will you come and lead us in? Uh, Our God reigns. It says, Hallelujah, my soul, praise the Lord. I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing to my God as long as I live. Do not trust in nobles and a son of man who cannot save. When his breath leaves him, he returns to the ground. On that day, his sons die. Happy is the one whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. He remains faithful forever, executing justice for the exploited and giving food to the hungry. The Lord frees prisoners. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord raises up those who are oppressed. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord protects resident aliens and helps the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the ways of the wicked. The Lord reigns forever. Zion, your God reigns for all generations. Hallelujah. Amen. Come, come lead us in worship. Thank you, Josh, for bringing good news to us today. Take you, your uh, bulletins there, Our God Brains. Let's do it, church. Who we really are. He says this, Dear friends, I urge you as strangers and exiles to abstain from sinful desires that wage war against the soul. Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles. This would be the unbelievers. So that when they slander you as evildoers, they will observe your good works and will glorify God on the day he visits. Submit to every human authority because of the Lord, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to the governors as those who are sent out uh, by him to punish those who do what is evil and to praise those who do what is good. For it is God's will, another one, it is God's will that you silence the ignorance of foolish people. How? Not by being mean to them, but by doing good. All right. Submit as free people, not using your freedom as a cover up for evil, but as God's slaves, his servants. Honor everyone, love the brothers and sisters, fear God, honor the emperor. Thanks for listening to Mount Carmel Baptist Church's weekly Sunday worship service message. Mount Carmel is located in Demarest, Georgia. Please join us this Sunday at 11 a.m. To plan your visit, go to mtcarmeldemarest.com.